scripture for this morning is from Exodus 2 and Exodus 3, and it is about God's name. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of, their, out of the slavery, their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, with Jacob and Leah and Rachel. God looked upon the Israelites and took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of God appeared to him in a fire of flame out of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have, I have observed the misery of the people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on the account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land, to a land good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I have seen also how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is God's name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent, to, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, Hashem, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. I wrote a paper in college several decades ago. It's one of the few that I actually remember, and it was titled simply Names Matter. It was for my women in literature course, and the reason I remember it is because it's a whole story in and of itself, but we threw all the rules out 
the window for this paper and were able to write whatever we wanted. It was a, sort of a life-changing kind of experience. And in that paper about names, I reflected primarily on two books that I still love, The Handmaid's Tale by Canadian Margaret Atwood and Wide Sargasso Sea by Caribbean author Jean Rhys. And in each of these beautifully crafted novels, the power of naming is profoundly evident. It's at the sort of heart of both of those stories, in, in fact. In the case of The Handmaid's Tale, which many more people now know through the show, I have not brought, been able to bring myself to watch it yet because I love the book too much. So maybe someday, but right now it feels a little tender. Uh, but in the case of The Handmaid's Tale, a sinister, a sinister story of a not too distant future feels ever more present. When the US government is overthrown by a misogynistic totalitarian ultra right wing Christian theocracy that renames the land Gilead, women's names are stripped from them and replaced by the names of the men to whom they are serially sent in a twisted game of social and sexual control for the express purpose of attempting to provide him offspring. Men are named according to their military rank and women according to their role. And there are three gendered roles for women, wives, handmaids, and Marthas. And the main character as the, in the book, the main characters in the book, as the title suggests, are handmaids known only as of Warren, of Fred, of Glenn. Each woman knows each time that she is called, called by this name thrust upon her that she is not her own person. She belongs to, is the possession of a man. And the fascist government of Gilead controls women's bodies and lives through the power of that language and naming. <clears throat> Jean Rhys in Wide Sargasso Sea writes a prequel of sorts for Charlotte Bronte's novel, Jane Eyre. Intrigued by the Creole outcast in Bronte's novel, a woman portrayed as deranged, a mad woman, the text tells us, and wholly other, Rhys imagines a story for that mad woman from the Caribbean. A history that would provide some context and provoke some compassion. So Jean Rhys in her novel names this woman Antoinette. But neither Rhys nor Antoinette have the final word on her name. The character of Mr. Rochester, to whom Antoinette is married, renames her several times. First Bertha and eventually Marionetta, a cruel joke by which he seeks to name Antoinette's doll-like qualities, and in fact, by which he hopes to shape her doll-like qualities of pliability, dependence, stupidity, marionetta. Through the power of language and naming, he treats her like a ghost, an object, and ultimately succeeds in forming on Antoinette into the mad woman that we meet in Jane Eyre. Powerful stories, these two, have stuck with me for more than 20 years, each of them revealing the tremendous power to be found in names 
and power in naming, names that are given, names that are taken, names that are rejected, names that are embraced and claimed and lived into. In our reading from Exodus, we encounter for the first time in the Bible the name of God, a name that God self-selects and reveals and shares with Moses. It's a name that's not thrust upon God, but a name claimed and embraced by God. And knowing how powerful that act of naming can be, how language and names actually shift and shape identity, I wanted to ponder this name of God in that context. For in learning more about God's name, the more we learn, I think, about God's identity and God's nature and God's character, who God is, who God understands God's self to be. So what is the name of God? Well, I grew up knowing that God's name was, I am who I am. And that's how my NIV student Bible translates the name of God. I double checked. So that's why that name is so firmly imprinted on me. It's always been somewhat cryptic and mysterious as far as names go. Um, a God whose name is I am or I am who I am. But it wasn't until much later in life that I came to realize just how cryptic and mysterious is the meaning of God's name. God's name Grammar nerds, tune in. God's name is the third person singular imperfect of the verb to be. It's either a simple indicative or a causative indicative. For all of you grammar nerds out there. It means, therefore, he is or she is or they are. It means he is alive, or she brings into being, or they are present and presence. But before I climb down that rabbit hole too far, and I will and I can, I assure you, it's first important to note this very simply. So now it doesn't matter if you're a grammar nerd or not. God's name is a verb. It's not a noun. <laughs> it's a verb. God's name is a verb an action, being, not the noun, but being the, the motion, the verb, the becoming perhaps is more like it gets sort of that movement in there. And in fact, the translation of God's name imprinted on my memory from that NIV student Bible, I am who I am, is more accurately, I am being who I am being, or I am becoming who I am becoming. It's a verb, it's an action, it's a movement. I am becoming who I am becoming. When we encounter Moses in our text today, prior to the story that we heard, he's recently murdered an Egyptian. He's fled to Midian to escape the Pharaoh's wrath. He's married the daughter of a priest, Zipporah is her name, and had his firstborn son. He led the flock of his father-in-law beyond the wilderness, the NRSV tells me, which, wow, that that provokes the imagination, leads his flock beyond the wilderness, where he encounters first an angel of God, second, a burning bush that is not consumed, and then third, God, God's self. God who calls out to Moses from that burning bush that is not consumed. And Moses is startled and nervous at, 
after God outlines God's plan to employ Moses in the liberation of the Israelite people, first Moses, Moses essentially asks, who am I? And second, Moses asks, who are you? And he does so by beating around the bush a bit. <laughs> Moses says, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is God's name? What shall I say to them? In other words, who are you? And God replies with a name that is a verb. God replies with a verb, a movement, a name, a mysterious name that could and probably does mean so many different things, translated in a host of different ways over the millennia since this story was first lived and then told. So I invite you to listen to these many different ways of translating God's name that, I've in, that I went looking for, all the many myriad ways. So let's just hear these for a moment. I am who I am. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. I will be what I will be. I will be where I will be. I am becoming who I am becoming. I will be what I want to be. I am the one who is. I am that I am and I cause what is. He who creates what comes into existence. She who brings into existence whatever exists. The one who spoke and the world came into being, spoke, and all was. I want to say that one again. That's lovely. The one who spoke, and the world came into being, spoke, and all was. The one who spoke to the world at the beginning, be, and it was. And in the future will say to it, be, and it will be. I am the one who was, am, and will be. I am who I am. This name of God, like all other names, and simultaneously like no other name, is powerful. This name of God, like all other names, and simultaneously like no other name, reveals the identity, the character of God, the nature of God. That language, that naming shapes reality. Names shape the person to whom they are given. Of Fred, of Warren, Marionetta. In he. Names shape the person to whom they are given. And God, our God, is a verb, an action, a movement, being, becoming. So does this name of God, this meaning or meanings that we've explored only a little bit this morning, does this meaning of God's name, this nature of God, have anything to say to a transient congregation like Seattle Mennonite Church, specifically in the midst of a disorienting global pandemic that languishes on and on and on and on? Does the verb name of God's becoming have anything at all to say to a congregation that sends people and receives people at a pretty steady clip we are individually, each of us, made in the image of this God, whose name and nature are becoming. 
and we are collectively a part of the body of Christ, the one in whom the fullness of God, whose name and nature are becoming, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, right here. Like the God whom we worship, the God who created us and gave us life, the God who sent Jesus to make us one and draw us to our divine creator, we are who we are. We will be who we will be. We are becoming who we are becoming. We too are best named after God, our creator, in the form of a verb, an action, a movement. We are not stale or static. We worship a God whose name is a verb, a God who is action, who is movement, who is change, who is growth, who is transformation, who is becoming. And may we, a community also in motion, constantly adapting, may we find a home with our God whose name is also in motion, even as we weary of the constant adaptation at times, as we sorrow over the farewells that we constantly have to bid to beloved ones, even as we weary of all of that, and especially now with all the adaptation required of us, may we experience some comfort knowing that our God is on the move with us, becoming with us. May it be so.